Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 1 A Cold War-era military base in the Horn of Africa called Cagnew Station. For years, there was an official story about a U.S. intelligence project at Cagnew, codenamed Stonehouse. The project included a pair of 15-story parabolic antennas that the American government claimed was simply part of a powerful radio communications operation. But as the space race with the Soviet Union intensified, that cover story looked increasingly flimsy. By the 1970s, civil war forced the U.S. from Ethiopia, and Cagnew Station closed for good. Or did it? What was Stonehouse, really? What happened at Cagnew Station between 1974 and 1991 when violence and war gave perfect cover to any shadowy agency, organization, or cabal seeking it? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Ira Buckman. Our guest this week, Gary Belt, is well-known in Cagnew Research Circles for his work establishing Stonehouse's role in gathering the foundational elements of what would become the Internet. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk about a strain of the Cagnew story that an Optophobia listener emailed us about last week. Jillian Beljack from Castle Valley, Utah, one of our regular listeners, wrote us about the ionosphere, which is the part of the Earth's atmosphere that reflects radio waves. Jillian suggested that the job of one of the Stonehouse antennas was to send signals into the ionosphere that would disturb its natural state, and the other antenna would then measure that disturbance. To what end would the Stonehouse engineers have done that? Jillian, she may know, but she didn't respond to my email, so I'm not sure yet. It's intriguing, though, as a, as a theory that I hadn't heard before. So I'm going to make some calls and do some digging in the next week, and I'll let you know what I find. Much less ominously, I'm sitting here with my regular co-host, Deborah. Wow. Hi. Hi, Ira. How are you? I'm doing well, uh, but a little ill at ease after hearing that tidbit about the ionosphere. Yeah. Because it reminds me of, of some research that I've done being a woman of, of radio, I'm interested in radio waves and how they, they work. Right. For years you were. For years. I was a woman of radio, and now I'm just interested in it from an academic standpoint. But I found that if you take a hollow note song and you transfer those waves from the song, the radio waves that it's emitting, into a glass of water, that water will actually change its molecular properties to appear 
the same as water that comes from Russia. This is a this is research you have done. It's research that I've let's just say I've inspired it. Yeah. Maybe I haven't done it myself. Yeah. But I've inspired it, you know. So Russian water looks different than our water? It does. You see the there's water is composed of two hydrogens and one oxygen. Okay. ion. And Russian water at least Soviet Russian water, the molecular properties have changed. But Soviet water is actually more sickle-shaped. Each, the, each molecule is? The H's are, are arranged to look like the hammer and sickle, but mainly just the sickle part. Huh. So it's, it's more of a curved water formation. It sounds like the kind of thing that could hurt when you drink it. It doesn't hurt when you drink it. It just tastes... The opposite of freedom. Which would be horrible, I would imagine. I could imagine, too. I can only imagine, fortunately. Amazing. You bring so much information to this show that is new, and I hope that our listeners appreciate that. And if they're interested in learning more, my book, I Can't Go for Mind Control, parentheses, no can do, and parentheses, colon, Hall, Oates, and the Soviet Roots of Blue-Eyed Soul, is available at free-thinking bookstores near you. 37 copies sold so far. This week? So far. Excellent. Just, just so far. That's great. So since it's been out for eight months. I mean, there aren't that many free-thinking bookstores. Unfortunately, I've, I've found that. Yeah. So just a quick note before we continue. If you are new to the Cagnew Station story and want some of the background, you can listen to our first episode or check it out on our website, optophobia.org, for more context. Unfortunately, the guest that we had scheduled for this week, Rhoda Bleak Taffy, could not make it. As we mentioned last week, Rhoda is a Pepperidge Farm truck driver based in Groover, Iowa. And it seems that last week her truck was targeted in a Milano heist. Oh, that's too bad. She's fine. She's they just little... took the Milanos? That's all she had in her truck. Oh. Okay. So there were no EL fudges available. No, she's a Milano-specific mm. driver. So yeah, she was carjacked for cookies. An interesting detail in one of the news stories that I read about it was that the robbers wore Cookie Monster masks. Oh. So, I mean, it's hard to be mad at them. Yeah. You know, yeah, they have they, a sense of humor. They have a childlike sense of wonder. It's cookies. They weren't really stealing anything super important. Who doesn't love cookies? Russians. Probably. So anyway, Rhoda believes that she's uncovered evidence that Stonehouse was actually a space-time portal that led directly to the KGB headquarters in Moscow, so hopefully we can get her on. But as I mentioned earlier, today we have a great guest, Gary Belt, who is one of the leading thinkers on what Cagnew Station devotees sometimes call the brain suck theory. Gary, welcome to Optophobia. It's really great to have you. Before we get to your research... Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do. Ira, Deborah, I'd like to start by saying thank you. Thank you for having me, but I do have a disclaimer. Right now, me and my cousins, well, not me, just my cousins, I've told them the time of this meeting and the location of this meeting. Right now, they're mailing that to every major news outlet, including the Farmer's Almanac. So if I go missing or if this is a sting operation, you got some some answers to do deal yeah that is a deal we are we are here to help okay. we are not here to hurt I, I trust you but you know you got to always have a backup plan 
at least after Cagnu. That's what I learned. It's not a bad position to have. Thank you, Ira. So tell us about a little about yourself. Where where are you from? Sure, I'm from Jefferson County, Virginia. I grew up in a big, big family. I was we we worked on a sawmill farm, but I was the only scholar of the group. I wanted to be a novelist, but it was a good, honest living, and it was my writing that led me to to university in in Southeast Virginia, uh, Old Dominion University. Uh, after which I, I found a gig uh, writing for the Farmer's Almanac. Ghostwriter, to be specific. Who were you ghostwriting for at the Farmer's Almanac? All of the writers at the Farmer's Almanac aren't exactly who you think they are. They're just names because they're, they're the ideas, the people behind their writing are people like me or too controversial. And now at the time, it was my stance on the Korean War is why I wasn't wasn't allowed to put my name on the articles because I had controversial thoughts on that. And Gary, do you write mostly f- for the weather team there, or the fishing team, or the home remedies well, team? Uh, I yeah, I was brought on with because of my my theories on weather patterns. Uh, sometimes I do planting charts, and uh, I also make the meanest Brunswick stew in Jefferson County. So I do have my recipes on that site if you'd like to try it. What What is in a Brunswick stew? Well, uh, well, you have chicken shredded, you have tomatoes, there's corn, there's okra, uh, and some black beans that have to be grown in Jefferson County. So that's what makes yours unique. Exactly. You know, I've always wondered about the Farmer's Almanac. Mm-hmm. When you know, people say that when they, when it's about to rain or it's about to snow, they feel something in their elbow. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if that's if that's a real thing or if that's an old wives' tale. And because I sometimes when it hails, my kneecaps get a little smaller, shrink in size. It's yeah. I've I've heard of the same happening to one of my colleagues. Yeah, absolutely. I read there was an injury at the sawmill when I was a kid. I it caught my shirt, the buzz saw, and it sucked me. Oh. Sucked me into the machinery and broke all my ribs. Ah. So now, for a year out, I can sense the weather patterns. And that's really what drives my natural intuition and my theories that got me uh, a job at the Farmer's Almanac. So you can really feel it in your chest. I can feel it in my chest. Right now, it is 83 degrees, humidity 40%. Ooh. Uh, heat index... 87. That's remarkable. I just checked on my phone, and that is the exact heat index. You should not do that. You should not check on your phone. You should not check on the internet. You should not check on your computer. All right. It's a strong directive. Well, if you just want to contribute to the hive mind and have your your thoughts taken, then, then be my guest. But you keep that thing away from me. I'm, I'm walking. I'll walk. What brought you originally to the Farmer's Almanac? Well, uh, while I was at university, I was, I, I, like I said, I wanted to be a novelist, but I, because of the injuries to my ribs, I was just focused on the weather, and I began writing these theories and uh, that were picked up by the Farmer's Almanac, and they offered me a position. But again, they wouldn't let me publish my name on the byline because of my controversial opinions regarding the, the Korean War. Gary, how did that all lead to your interest in Cagnu? Well, it was more Cagnu found me, Ira, Deborah. It was 1975, and I was writing at the Farmer's Almanac, 
And I was actually, I was at my house, and I still had a telephone. I was watching the Waltons, and I get a call from the head of Cagnew, who I will not name, I will not say that name on my lips. If you, if you want me to, I'll walk. I'll walk right out of here. Deal? Deal, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Let's. Okay. I can go for that. So they said, hey, Gary, we're, we may have stumbled on a project that requires mass amounts of data, uh, mass processing of data and intuition. Uh, and see, up at, that's how I made my living at the Farmer's Almanac. That's my specialty is, is data and intuition and deduction. Uh, so it was a natural fit that they recruited me. But what would happen there changed everything. And just to be clear, the data that you're referring to is more like data from sunbeams and starlight rather than bips and boops and zeros and ones. That's correct. That would be my brother, who was also brought to Cagno. He was the engineer. He did the bips and boops. I did the starlight and weather patterns. So both of you were, were actually brought to Ethiopia? That's correct. Wow. But only one of us ever made it back. Oh, no. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break, and let's hear about that right in the next uh, half of the show. Very well. Hey, Optophobes. If you're a regular listener and you don't fast forward through podcast ads like everyone else does, you heard last week that we took on a new sponsor. It's an elder care community in Florida called the Polyps at Jonathan Winters. We made that connection because the data showed that the audience demographic for our first few shows skewed very, very old. As you guys know, we're a new show and I'm new to podcasting. And it turns out I was reading the data graphics provided by our hosting service upside down. So our audience is actually normal podcast age, which, to be honest, is a giant relief. Because old people usually aren't fat, so they have little use for spikenard monocled cobra solve. SMCS is a solve, not a salve, and it helps you lose weight without diet or exercise, and with just a few hours of acute searing pain. It's made from a combination of spikenard, an emollient that comes from the jatamanzi plant, and the venom of monocled cobras both of which are found in the mountains of eastern Nepal. We've told you before that the combination of spikenard and cobra... We're back. Let's get back to Gary's story. We kind of left on a cliffhanger there. Yeah, I'm glad that we all got to unwind with that touching song. <laughs> I perfectly matched to your experiences with your brother. Thank you for playing that for me, Deborah. That really. I'm always glad to use my my old skill set. Oh. So, sorry. I'll I'll let you continue with your story. I just okay. I, I thought we needed to unpack some of our emotions for a moment. Deborah, that was a powerful song. It. it uh, thank you. Uh, I'm okay. I'm back. I'm okay. So where was I? Right. My brother. Yeah, you were talking about your brother and how you guys uh, were both sent over or maybe volunteered to go to Cagnu in 19, I think, 75, you said? That's correct. Well, so we, we get there, and what first thing that took me back were these the antennas, the big antennas. And they said that the technology and what was explained to me by the my brother who knew the bips and boops, was that it could extract information from 
Russian satellites, no matter through the, the chromosphere and the hemisphere and with, with such power. And it would all come back as a big block of data. You see, in this little black box is where all the data was. Now, when you're pulling from a satellite, what, do you, what information are you getting? You're getting coordinates, geographic data, right, in very small packages. But then one day in September, there was a different data package received. In, this was September of 1975? 1975. And uh, the data that was coming in was just normal, everyday data. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, something new came in. When were right. you there? Was your brother there? We were both there, actually. And I and I had been working with the data now for, for a few months, maybe about six months, and processing it, tying it into my, my weather analysis and, and analysis of patterns in the Soviet Union. But then one day... We were doing just a routine opt, and what we were firing the data beam is what we called it, the data beam up to the satellite. But you see, the day before, a flock of Ethiopian swan had actually crashed into one of the antennas, so there needed to be repairs, which my brother was working on. But nobody told my brother that day that we were going to be firing off a data beam. So there he was in the antennas, and the data beam fired off, and guess where it went? It hit my brother right in the head. Oh, That is horrible. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And guess what was in the data package? Engineering stats. That's normal. But how about Little League World Series statistics? That shouldn't be on a satellite. Early lyrics from, from, from uh, it was the, the tropical artist. Jimmy Buffett. Early Jimmy Billy Buffett. Buffett. Oh, Early My Jimmy Buffett, goodness. the cast and characters of the Waltons. Does that sound like something that the Russians would be entertaining themselves with in space? So this was this was data that was in your brother's head. Exactly. Walk us through that, if you can. Your brother, obviously, like any human being, has all sorts of data, knowledge, mm-hmm. education, trivia in his head. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, he's working at Cagnew Station. Exactly. He is hit by the data beam. Is that what we were calling it? Yes, he was hit by the data beam. The data beam. And all of that explosion of information from his head is suddenly in a satellite? Or, or it's uploaded? It is uploaded to the little black box. Did you ever find out what that little black box really was? What it was, I can't tell you. But what it became, well, it became the internet. Was your brother the first whose the capacity of his brain was downloaded or uploaded into this black box? That's correct, Ira. It was all because of that one fateful day, that fateful mistake that became what is now the internet. But it wasn't enough because Alan was smart, but he didn't know everything. So what was to come was they needed more data. They didn't just need your brother. Right. They needed more data, more people. And that would be all well and good if it didn't do what it did to people's brains. So you're saying that additional people were also uploaded into the Internet? Yeah. Are these people functioning and walking among us now, or are they... If they are, it's not the same person. For example, after the, the, the explosion, I went... My brother was fine. There was no symptoms. He was fine, but he looked at me with a blank stare. 
and just made a guttural. Sounds like a dial-up. It, it, it was. That is what plays in my dreams every night, my nightmares. Oh, no. Can I ask us uh, maybe a sensitive question, mm-hmm. Carrie? Yes. I think probably f- for the last 40-ish years, you, mm-hmm. you have lived with the fact that this was a horrible accident. Yes. Is it possible that your brother, because he was the bips and boops part of the Cagnew experiment, mm-hmm. volunteered to be the first brain to be uploaded into that black box? It's impossible, Ira. Wow. He, had, he had kids, Ira. He had a wife who he loved very much, and he loved me. He couldn't have. I won't accept it. I'll walk. I'll walk if I have to accept that. But if he did, Ira, if he did, it's because those pigs made him. Made him think it was a good idea. What do you think the ultimate purpose at the time was of the black box? Were the engineers at Cagnew, did they see into the future what the internet would become in 1991? If they did, it was that fateful day when they realized we can get all this information and you don't need people with their motivations and their families who to arbiter this, this information. Like the Farmer's Almanac, it's all information, but it's people with ideas and, and, and families. You can't control them. But a little black box, it'll do your bidding. Would you posit that if people can be uploaded onto the Internet, that the Internet can be downloaded onto people who then do the bidding <laughs> of foreign governments? Well, Deborah, that's exactly what's going on. Cagnew may have ended in 1991. But have you heard of the cloud? That's just phase two, Deborah. There was the brain suck, and phase two is the brain pump. We're going (laughs) to pump that into our brains. And you breathe it in every day. You breathe it in in the cloud. You know, the dates are fascinating because we're talking about 1975. This This is when your brother went through this trauma, whether it was of his own volition or it was forced upon him Mm -hmm. or it was a horrible accident. That's 1975. That's exactly Mm. when the civil war in Ethiopia began. Right. That civil war lasted until 1991, which was when the internet first became a public phenomenon. That's correct. That's no coincidence, Ira. Could I posit that that civil war was totally manufactured just to hide what was going on because the United States had discovered the most powerful weapon since fire information. They knew what they found. Let the Soviets build their nuclear weapons. We're building the internet, but you got to beat them to it. And what's the fastest way to do that? You pull it from people's brains. You know, they say you only use 10% of your brain. That's true. That's true. But the black box, it takes 100% of your brain. And those people uh, whose brains were sucked into the Internet, what is their life like? Well, Ira, I, he actually, I could use my brother, perhaps, as an anecdote. He didn't die that day. I was, as I was hugging him and he was making the, the Internet noises, he, I suddenly 
suddenly got knocked out. When I woke up in a bed, they said I went into shock, and I couldn't find my brother. So I spent 20 years looking for him in between my shifts when I could sneak out of Cagnu, and I found him in 1994 in, in Tanzania. Oh. He didn't recognize me. He didn't speak English. He spoke the local dialect, had a family, and he was happy. But he remembered nothing before 1975. So he, in effect, he started anew as a Tanzanian father. That's correct. But with a brand new life. Yes, and he weaved baskets. Huh. You can take the engineer out of his brain, but you can't take the, the, the brain out of... The baskets. That's, yes, yeah, exactly. But how many thousands of other people, how many people have gone missing or suffer from amnesia? And if you can't see me, I'm using quotes around my fingers. How many? Many, thousands. And I'll tell you where they are right now. They're floating above our heads in the internet. That is fascinating. I, I had never delved that deeply into the, the brain suck yes. uh, theory of Cagnu. It's amazing that your brother was the pioneer. It is amazing, but also tragic. Well, I hope you have found some refuge at the Almanac. Well, that's the thing, Ira. They didn't let me back to the Almanac because I tried to speak out. Ugh. But I made the mistake of speaking out at Cagnu. So one day, they they put me in between the antennas. Oh, my god! I guess gosh. what they did. Did they pump? No, they, they, this was a suck. This was before the brain pump. You got sucked? They started sucking. <laughs> they put you between the antennas, and they... And they started... That sounds horrifying. That's horrible. They, they, they sucked me between those antennas, but... But I had a stroke of fortune, good fortune. The same Ethiopian swans that led to the my brother getting his brain sucked swooped in, broke the antenna halfway through the procedure. So I'd forgotten half of everything I knew. So you were only half sucked. Half sucked. So there's an element of the redemption for that yes. flock of swans. And I forgave them for, because of that. So you have forgotten half of everything that you knew before... 1975? Uh, this was 1984. Oh. The project was ongoing. Yeah. Because it takes a long time to mm. kidnap people, bring them between the antennas, and suck them. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We will have to have Gary Belt back because this is a fascinating conversation. If I could say one more thing. Sure, mm. of course. Mm -hmm. Before we go, if you're talking about dates... There was a little company that was founded in 1975 by a little entrepreneur, an engineer. Can you guess what it is? Microsoft. And that is no coincidence, Ira. Pretty incredible stuff. We want to thank our guest this week, Gary Belt, for bringing us this very dramatic story. Thank you to my co-host this week, Deborah. Deborah's book, uh, I Can't Go for Mind Control, No Can Do, Hall Oats and the Soviet Roots of Blue-Eyed Soul is available at your local free-thinking bookstore. Next week, we will talk to Chaz Scropter, a fuel yard technician at a power plant in Orbisonia, Pennsylvania. Chaz has an increasingly popular YouTube channel where he lays out a complex series of arguments that show that the Stonehouse antennas 
that we were just talking about were actually parts of a new cloning technology designed to make copies of Winston Churchill and Stan Laurel, both of whom, coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, had just gone into stroke-induced comas in 1965 when the U.S. Army Security Agency began the Stonehouse Project. That is weird. Wow, yeah. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I am Ira Buckman, and I'll leave you with this. He who runs fast up the wrong road is a fool. Thank you to Kevin Mahoney, who played Gary Belt. Kevin performs with Madeline, a Washington Improv Theater house ensemble. Follow him on Instagram at at Kev underscore Mahoney. Liz Sanders played Deborah. Liz also performs with Madeline. If you've got theories about what was really going on at CAG News Station, we'd like to hear them. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at optophobes. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open. <laughs>